All right, you guys, um, it's time to jump into God's Word together. So why don't you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. And if you are a guest with us, you've been traveling the last few weeks and you just arrived back to celebrate the 4th of July this morning, we're glad that you're here. And we've actually launched into a new summer series focused on the fruit of the Spirit. And we're asking the basic question each week, am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the Spirit? And there's, a, there's two lists that is found in Galatians chapter 5. One list is what we call the deeds of the flesh. And so Paul says, hey, if you're walking in the flesh, then you're going to expect to see these types of deeds. Things like jealousy and envy and strife and idolatry and sexual immorality. But if you're walking in the Spirit, then you should expect to see this fruit of the Spirit. And by the way, um, the word fruit is in the singular, not in the plural. And that's not because, you know, the Apostle Paul forgot his grammar. No, it's because I think what the Apostle Paul has in mind here is that if we are as believers, if we're sinking our roots deep into the vine of Jesus Christ, if we're experiencing his life and his love in our lives, then we can't help but then spill out the fruit of the Spirit. And so this fruit is really kind of one big fruit with all these characteristics of Christ in it. And so it's not like you can be loving, but not also joyful, or you can't be gentle, but not also self-controlled. Now we will be expecting to grow in this big gospel fruit uh, as the spirit of God is working in our lives. But to help us out, uh, to examine our hearts, we are taking sort of one fruit or one characteristic of the spirit at a time. And so we've looked at the fruit of love. We've looked at the fruit of joy. And today is the fruit of peace. And I know the answer to this question before I even ask it. Yes, Pastor Scott, I long for peace in my life, right? We all do. In fact, we talked about this last week as well. We all long for joy as well, because this is not just a Christian longing. This is a human longing. We were made for peace. Our heart just yearns back to the Garden of Eden where everything was right, where we had peace with God, where we had peace with one another, we had peace with the world, and even peace within our own soul. But we know that sin and rebellion just destroyed peace. It was like glass that just shattered on the floor into a million pieces. And ever since then, we've been constantly clamoring to try to put back the broken pieces together, to experience shalom in our lives. We live in a broken, fallen world And we desperately long for peace. And we know that this is all around us, right? There's this longing for peace everywhere we look. In fact, I don't know if you knew this. Of course, the Olympics are coming up here in a few weeks. And we're going to be celebrating our athletes. We're going to be cheering them on. We're going to be cheering on our country. It's 4th of July, right? Uh, But along with that, there's actually another thing that's going on in the Olympics. I'm not sure if you're aware of this. But there's actually a tradition where the host country submits a UN resolution asking for all of the member states of the United Nations committing to peace before, during, and after the Olympics, Olympic Games. It's actually called an Olympic truce. And so Japan submitted uh, this resolution, and 186 member states all agreed to this peace resolution, urging combatants around the world to cease their hostilities before, during, and after the Olympic Games. There's even this truce wall that's set up in the Olympic Village where athletes and officials from around the world can sign that wall as a demonstration that they long for world peace. Even the president of the National Olympic Committee said this. He said, the Olympic Village shows us all 
If only for a few brief weeks that another world is possible. A world where we can compete but still respect each other. Where we can be sporting rivals but still be friends. That is the spirit that underlies the Olympic truce. And so peace, it's what we all want, right? But you and I know that peace isn't as simple as just signing a document or signing a wall or just saying like the world, hey, can't we just all get along? No, there is only one true lasting pathway to peace, and it's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It comes through the Prince of Peace being sent into our broken world to make all things whole, to bring peace in our soul, to bring peace with one another, to bring peace with our God. We need the gospel in our lives every moment of every day. And here's what's even more amazing about the peace that God offers it's peace, is, it's even grander and just more beautiful than we could ever imagine, or a lot of times what we dream of. Uh, the word peace in the Old Testament is the word shalom. Uh, my wife, Julia, she lived in Israel for three months, and she said shalom a lot, but it's much more than a greeting. It actually represents a longing, a longing for shalom to really take place. And this is what Cornelius Plattinger says about shalom. He says, in the Bible... Shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, a rich state of affairs that inspires joyful wonder as its creator and savior opens doors and welcomes the creatures in whom he delights. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Listen to those words, flourishing, wholeness, delight, rich state of affairs, joyful wonder, being welcomed in. That is the shalom. That is the peace that God is inviting us into through his son, the Prince of Peace. How does that capture your heart this morning? Do you long for that? Oh, I do. But as you and I know, the only way that that pathway to peace really comes about is through the gospel. And so oftentimes, I miss the mark of the gospel. Imagine the gospel being like a target. So many of you guys, I know we love to shoot guns, uh, throw axes, you know, shoot bows and arrows, whatever it is, to aim at that gospel target. Uh, that's, what, that's what we're imagining here. Is we're imagining a target with the gospel at the center. But when we miss the gospel, we miss the mark that's what sin actually is. It means missing the gospel. And so oftentimes, you and I, we, we miss the mark. And as a result, we don't experience peace. We don't experience joy. We don't experience love. We don't experience those fruit of the Spirit. And that's what's going on actually in the church at Philippi. In some ways, they have missed the mark of the gospel. In fact, that's what Apostle Paul reminds them of in chapter 2. He says, there is this gospel, Philippi church, that I want you to remember. And as you experience and aim your hearts and your minds back to Jesus Christ, then you also begin to experience all the shalom that you long for. And so that's what we're invited this morning to do, to reorient our hearts and our minds around the gospel to apply the gospel to our lives so that we can experience God's shalom, his peace. And in particular, we're going to focus on two directions of that peace. One is the peace with one another, and the second is more kind of the peace within our own soul, what I kind of call a peace without and a peace within. So in honor of God's word, why don't you stand with me, and we're going to read the first nine verses of Philippians chapter 4. Listen to God's word through the apostle Paul. 
He says, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Oh God, we come to you this morning with a longing for your shalom to be in our hearts, to be in our relationships, to be in our world. And God, we know that that longing is a a longing that you've placed in our souls. And so we pray, God of peace, that you would fill up our hearts, that you would fill up our relationships, that you would fill up our world with your peace as you reign in our lives. Oh God, keep our hearts and our minds focused on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand, or excuse me, not stand, <laughs> sit, sit. Although, if you go back to the Old Testament, people stood for hours. We've provided you with some wonderful, comfortable seats for your pleasure. All right. So I'm entitling today's sermon, The Pathway to Peace, The Pathway to Peace. And along this pathway, God, through the, the Apostle Paul, he, he gives us four what I'm going to call gospel practices. In fact, verse 9, it says, practice these things. So four gospel practices that lead us to cultivate peace. Um, Two that are more focused on that peace with one another, and then two that are more focused on peace within our own soul. And so first, let's talk about peace in our relationships. Uh, As you can hear, Paul starts right off with uh, verse 2, and he says, Hey, there's this this conflict between these two women, Euodia and Syntyche, which, by the way, Euodia and Syntyche means sweet smell and friendly. But apparently these women weren't so friendly or sweet-smelling to one another. Uh, They instead created some sort of uh, significant conflict, probably not just with themselves, but now it's spread into the church. It might even have been one of the reasons why the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. And Paul, right off the bat, he says, I entreat you, Odia. I entreat Syntyche. That word entreat means I beg of you to agree in the Lord. Apostle Paul has in mind the words of Jesus, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Paul says, if you're truly a child of God, then you are to seek to make peace. And the flip side is also true, that we ought not to be at peace whenever there's disunity and division between brothers and sisters. Whether it's because of sin or miscommunication or various likes or dislikes or whatever, there's going to be conflict that we're going to experience, right? It's inevitable, but Paul wants to remind his people. He wants to remind God's people that we are to pursue peace so far as it depends on us. 
And here Paul offers to us two gospel practices that will help us on this pathway to peace. And the first gospel practice is this. Remember your identity. I want you to pay attention to all of these amazing words that Paul uses to describe these women and describe the body of Christ. He starts out and he says, hey, my brothers, you could translate that, my brothers and my sisters. In other words, my family. He says, you're the ones whom I long for. You're my joy. You're my crown. Uh, You're my beloved. He goes on, he says, you are fellow workers with me. Your names are written in the book of life. Do you understand? Do you remember? Or have you forgotten your identity? See, somewhere along the path, Yodi and Syntyche had, had, had lost their gaze upon the center. They'd forgotten the target. They'd forgotten the gospel. That they who once were enemies have now been welcomed in as friends of God and friends of one another. They were, used to be orphans, but now they have been adopted and accepted as brothers and sisters in Christ. They once did not have hope. They once did not have peace, and now they've been offered hope and peace in Jesus Christ, they once had gone, they, were, they lived in darkness and sin, and now they've been brought into light. They once were enslaved to the passions of their flesh, and now they've been set free to pursue righteousness and holiness and peace. The Apostle Paul said, you have forgotten who you are. I'm not sure about for you, but so oftentimes I forget my gospel identity I forget of what Christ has made me. And it's not just a personal identity, it is a corporate one. In other words, when you look around here, these are your family members. These are your brothers and sisters. And as close as your immediate family, as your biological family, God says that for those who are in Christ, your spiritual family lasts forever. In other words, Paul's like, hey, you're going to be living together for a really long time. You might as well work things out right now. But so oftentimes we forget our identity. We, for, we let circumstances and we let conflict and we let misunderstandings lead us away rather than towards one another. Paul says that's not who you are, that's who you were. And I think this is why the Apostle Paul in verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. We talked about joy last week, right? That joy is not based on circumstances. It is based upon our relationship with the Lord. And when we begin to draw closer to the Lord once again, we are filled with joy. Joy is dependent on Christ, not on circumstances. And peace is the same way. The fruit of joy impacts our experience of peace. You guys ever found it hard, or excuse me, easy to to maybe get into a fight with somebody who is joyful all the time? Now, maybe it kind of annoys you a little bit. But uh, I, I find it almost impossible for someone who has found joy in their life when they are focused upwardly and they remember their identity in Christ, that joy begins to spill out into their relationships. This is what the, uh, the great Charles Spurgeon says. He says, people who are very happy, especially those who are very happy in the Lord, are not apt either to give offense or to take offense. Their minds are so sweetly occupied with higher things that they are not easily distracted by the little troubles which naturally arise among such imperfect creatures as we are. Joy in the Lord is the cure for all discord. In other words, what the Apostle Paul is reminding us of is he says, hey, when you are finding your identity in Christ and and you're beginning to, to sink your roots deep into Christ, 
you remember who you are in Christ, when you begin to take your focus on him rather than to focus on others and to focus off of your, you take the focus off yourself and you put it on him and who you are in him and back on the gospel. Yeah, there's pain. Yeah, there's hurt. Yeah, there's, there's struggle and hardship, which is why Paul says, hey, rejoice twice, right? But there's a reason to rejoice because Christ jumped into the fray for you and for me. He jumped into those places of brokenness to offer you peace, a peace that knows no end and peace that begins to soak up your soul and then you begin to seek it with others as well. But if you let your joy in Christ be robbed, your peace will not be far behind. So remember, Four Oaks, your gospel identity. That's the first pathway to peace to one another. And that's a little bit more inward, okay? Uh, Now I want you to think of a little bit more like pursuing peace with one another with this second gospel practice. Pursue humility. Paul says in verse 5, he says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. There's lots of ways to translate that word reasonableness. Uh, It could be fairness or gentleness or graciousness or being considerate. But the overarching idea here is to pursue and practice humility, to approach a situation with open hands and an open heart. Rather than closed-fisted and say, I've got to have it my way, instead you open up your hands and say, God, whatever you want. The Lord, what does it say? The Lord is at hand. In other words, the Lord is near. He's in charge. I'm going to trust in him. He's with me. He's for me. He's given up everything for me, and so I am called to do the same. I'm to seek peace so far as it depends upon me. And this has direct echoes back to chapter 2. Paul reminds the church, he says, do you not remember what Christ has done for you, that even though he was equal with God, he did not consider that something to be grasped or held on to. Instead, he gave it up. He said, I'm going to take the form of a bondservant. I'm going to become obedient to even the point of death, death to whatever I want for the sake of pursuing peace with, the, with my people. And Apostle Paul says, Christ gave up his rights to seek peace with us. We are called to do the same. So I have a question for you. Do you desire to be right more than be in a right relationship? Do you want to be right and to grab hold of your rights rather than to be at peace? As I'm asking this question of you, I'm convicted myself. So oftentimes I would rather be right And it's led to so many conflicts uh, with my wife, with my kids, even with some of you in this very room. But Christ offers us a different way. He says, I want you to not hold on to your rights, even if maybe you are possibly right 99.9% of the way. No, I want you to take the initiative to lay down your right to be right, to humble yourself and to say, I am sorry Even if I didn't mean it, I'm still sorry for the hurt that I've caused you. I'm sorry for the way I've treated you. Will you please forgive me? See, pursuing gospel humility means to absorb the blows in order to seek peace, to cover over sin with love, to remember Christ who laid it all for you so that you would then lay down your life for your brother or your sister. Some of you might even think of a particular relationship right now that is not, it's not experiencing a lot of shalom. 
I encourage you, I exhort you, I entreat you, agree in the Lord. Find, find if at all possible so far as it depends on you, peace with your brother or your sister. Now, in addition to being humble and laying down your rights for the sake of peace, it's also really important for you to recognize this. Sometimes humility requires you to actually ask for help. There's sometimes we can get so bogged down in the chaos and we are so missing one another that we can't see eye to eye and we need help from someone else. That's why the Apostle Paul, he says, I ask you also, true companion. Uh, sometimes that word could even, it might even be that it's the name of a particular person in the Greek. We don't know for sure. But here it's been translated true companion. In other words, hey, if you're a friend, I want you to jump into the fray. If you're stuck in a relationship that's not connecting, I want you to ask for help. You guys might be in that spot where you're like, I need help. I've been there. My wife and I, sometimes we miss one another and we've had other godly couples come alongside of us to say, hey, let's help you out. Let's help you to reconnect with one another. I've had men come alongside of me in order to seek, help me to seek peace with another man who we had differences with. What a sweet gift that's been to me. I'm so grateful for those true companions in the gospel in my life. And if you're stuck in one of those spots, ask for help. Humbly say, I can't figure this out on my own. I need for you to, to serve as Christ for me, to be that mediator, to help me to, to listen, and then to speak truth into my life and to provide perspective and to exhort me, to admonish me, and to come alongside of me. I can also tell you this, it's been a sweet privilege for me as a pastor, for others who have come in my presence and say, I need help. We need help. And to see them lay down their rights for the sake of pursuing peace with one another and to be in a right relationship. And I have just rejoiced, I'm sure, the way Paul did whenever Yodian and Syntyche made things right. And I would invite you to do the same. So here's a couple of application question, questions related to you from this first point, related to peace with one another. One, number one, is there a relationship where you have forgotten your gospel identity and you need to lay down your rights and humbly seek peace with another person? And if you need help, if you're, if you're just kind of overwhelmed, you can't see a path forward, then who is it that can help come alongside of you to make things right? Who can be that true companion for you? And on the flip side, maybe you are aware of a situation where there is clearly disunity. Maybe you're Euodia and Syntyche where they're listening to the letter like, mm-hmm, yep, uh-huh, yep, preach it, Paul, preach it, Paul. And then all of a sudden Paul's like, Euodia and Syntyche, I tell you to agree in the Lord. And like, wait, what? You know, just totally clueless about this conflict that you even have and how big of a deal it is. And you need to be the one to jump into the fray. You need to be the one to be the true companion to help labor side by side for the sake of the gospel so that shalom can take place in that relationship between brothers or between sisters or between a married couple or whoever it might be. All right, so Paul now moves on down this pathway to peace, not only to talk about focusing on our peace with one another, but now focusing on that peace within our own soul. Verse 6. You guys know this verse really well. But it's really hard to apply, isn't it? Do not be anxious about anything. Let that sit for a second. 
But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. How many of you get anxious? If you don't, you're a liar. We all get anxious, right? We all worry about things. I was getting so anxious this morning preparing for this sermon. I was like, oh, man. I totally forgot to put something down. I need to write it down, right? We get worried about small things. We get worried about big things. We get worried all the time. A test, a job interview, a health exam, Hurricane Elsa, (laughs) right? That word anxious means to be troubled with cares. It also can mean divided. So imagine Martha, she's running here too and everywhere trying to get everything just right, She's anxious. She's divided. And we care about a lot of things, right? Important things. I would say even godly things. But worry has a way of overwhelming us. And as a result, it takes away our peace and our joy. Worry comes from an old German word, worgen. I don't know German, but this is what it means. Meaning to struggle or to choke. And so oftentimes worry can choke the life out from us, right? It pulls the gray clouds of tomorrow over the sunshine of today. I want you to hear this. Don't, don't beat yourself up too much. Worry is normal. It is a human experience. Remember, we live in a fallen world. There's pain, there's struggle, there's hardship all around us. And so we get anxious, we get worried. And so when God says, don't be anxious, he's not like trying to beat us up. He's not an angry God trying to destroy us. No, imagine God. What does he say throughout the scriptures over and over again? He pursues people who are anxious and afraid. Moses, I don't know what to say. Joshua, I'm afraid. Gideon, I'm I'm doing all sorts of crazy stuff, but I am very afraid, right? And what does God say over and over again? He says, don't be afraid because I'm with you. Don't be afraid because I'm for you. Don't be afraid because I love you and I've chosen you to be my special person, to follow after me. See, God doesn't want to have our life choked out from us. He longs for us to experience peace within our soul, to have that shalom. So what's the antidote to worry? Gospel practice number three, pray with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. We are invited to turn our cares into prayers. Instead of trying to take hold of everything and control everything on our own, instead we say, God, I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I'm going to take myself off the throne and put you back on the throne. I need you to be in charge. In other words, we need to be good stewards of our worries. When worry comes about in our lives, instead of trying to hold on to it and trying to control all the what ifs of what if this happens or what if this happens, God, I am giving this over to you. You're in charge of my what ifs. And not only that, he says to pray with thanksgiving. He says to pray and supplicate with thanksgiving. Let me talk about supplication first. Uh, Supplication means to ask earnestly, to ask boldly, to ask just with reckless abandon, to cry out to God over and over again. Just, God, I'm crying out to you. Would you please help me? And I want you to remember this, Christian. Praying is doing. 
You are doing more in your praying than can ever be accomplished without it. To pray is to turn our anxiety into action. But if you're like me, a lot of times I do what I, what I call the just kidding prayers. I'm like, here, here, God, I'm giving this over to you. Just kidding. <laughs> like, hey, God, I want, you to, I want you to take care of this particular financial challenge. Just, just kidding. I'm going to take control of it. I, I need you to fix this particular problem in this relationship. Just, just kidding. Uh, I, I'm not stressed about this hurricane that's coming. I'm giving over to you. Just kidding. You guys do that? I was listening to an illustration that just so convicted me a couple weeks ago. He was talking about this idea of, of uh, praying with supplication. And he said, uh, imagine um, you, you're in a workplace and you have this bad employee and you give a responsibility to that bad employee. What are you doing the whole entire time? You are worried that that bad employee is not going to come through for you. And so you constantly are checking in on them and you're wondering what's going to happen and how things are going to go. And he said, but what about a good employee? What do you do? You, you give that responsibility to that employee and then you don't worry about it because you know that person's going to come through for you. God says, I am a good employee. In fact, I'm the employer. I'm the boss. I'm going to come through for you, so stop doing just kidding prayers. Lay your worries, lay your concerns at my altar and leave them there. Entrust those worries and concerns to me. What does Jesus say? He says, don't be anxious. Matthew chapter 6, he says, if, I, if my father cares for the lilies of the field or he cares for the birds of the air, then will my father not care for you? Our worries reveal to us our trust or lack of trust in God. Here's the beautiful thing about God, though. He not only says, uh, you know, gives us an invitation or a command to pray, he also says, and when you do, when you do, there's a promise here. He says, my peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You guys ever experienced that where you, where you truly just supernaturally, you, you kind of like give it over to the Lord and then you leave it there? And the Spirit of God just supernaturally comes upon you. That word guard or, or keep, it represents um, a group of soldiers that are protecting a treasure. And so imagine this, like your God is promising, I'm going to protect the treasure of your heart. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to guard it. I'm going to keep it. When you truly give your stuff over to me, when you stop worrying, when you stop fretting, my peace that surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And so here's the invitation from the Lord. He says, when you pray, when you supplicate, do it with thanksgiving. And that posture of thanksgiving is the idea here of when you ask things from the Lord, you're making your requests thankfully before him to expect that whatever he does, you're going to see that it's good for you. I know it's a lot harder to say, uh, than it, or excuse me, harder to practice than it is to say. But God says, I want you to trust in me. I want you to be thankful for however I come through for you. I love you. I'm, I'm, I'm for you. You don't have to worry. I love that this is the posture of our elder prayer times on Tuesday morning. Uh, you have men in your church, and I've witnessed them, 
week in and week out for 16 years of being on staff here. Men who ask wholeheartedly, who supplicate, who pray earnestly, who pray boldly on behalf of the people of God. Who pray for things like sickness and jobs and marriages and children, but they do so in a way that submits and rests in the sovereign will of God. Who are thankful that God is with us, that he's for us, and that he will use our prayers to accomplish good in our people's lives. And sometimes Pastor Paul even concludes that time with, and God, please guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. In other words, let us leave those requests here and not pick them back up and take them with us wherever we go. Praying with thanksgiving is a wonderful pathway to peace. And so I would encourage you, as an application to this, I would encourage you to journal out your prayers. And along with that, connect promises to those prayers. This is a promise that's found here. God is not only inviting us to pray to him, but then he gives this promise that we can hold on to, we can bank on, that just as God has been for us, that he will be for us again. He'll come through for us. And then alongside of that, share your prayers with other people. Share your cares with them. Let them hold those promises with you. Let them care for you in the midst of your anxiety and your worry and your fear. What a sweet gift those Tuesday morning prayer times have been for me because I am so tempted to anxiety. I'm so tempted to fear. I'm so tempted to anger or strife or whatever it might be. My heart is oftentimes divided. But through that praying with my brothers, my heart's made whole. That's the shalom that God offers to us within our souls. Last but not least, gospel practice number four, focus on Christ and his blessings. Apostle Paul says, Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think on these things. That word for think uh, can also be translated reckon, as it is in the book of Romans. In other words, we are to reckon or count these things as blessings in our lives. If you and I are tempted towards despair and worry and fear and thinking all those negative things and those negative possibilities, the Apostle Paul says, I want you instead to focus on who God is. I want you to focus on God's goodness. I want you to focus on how he has come through for you. I want you to focus on his, on the past successes that God has come through for you so you would long and expect for him to come through for you again. Count your blessings. I talked about this last week related to joy and gratitude, that practice of gratitude, that discipline of gratitude. It takes practice But it's such a gift to us, not only in our fight for joy, but also in our fight for peace. And so when we're journaling out our anxious thoughts, put alongside of them our thankful thoughts. Think about how God has come through for us time and time again. And just as he has demonstrated his grace, he will carry out future grace for us as well. And here's what's really important. So a lot of times we can think about these words True, honorable, just, almost as like kind of lofty ideals. And even peace, we can sometimes think about it that way. But peace or these other ideals, this is not just sort of a force or an abstract concept. More than anything else, this is found in a person. So when Paul says, I want you to think about these things, more than anything else, it's an invitation to think about Christ who carries out and exemplifies these things perfectly. 
And not just generally for the world, but for you and for me. He is true to you. He's honorable to you. He's just to you. He's pure to you. He's lovely to you. He's commendable to you. He is peace-filled towards you. He wants to bring to you shalom. See, peace is not the absence of problems. It's the presence of Christ. Christ says, I want you to look to me. I want you to trust in me. I want you to put your gaze upon me. Remember, I'm at the center of that bullseye. Keep your heart and your mind fixed upon me. Don't look on the waves of the world. Don't look at all the crazy circumstances around you. Like Peter, look at me. And we're so tempted, though, to look at the circumstances of life and then we get dismayed and overwhelmed. And Christ, what does he do? He doesn't leave us there drowning. He walks up to us like he did Peter, picks us up, says, look to me again. It's a beautiful, wonderful invitation that God has to us. Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Do you trust in Jesus? Do you see him as the shalom? Do you see him as the peace giver, as the very embodiment of shalom to you? Corey Tinboom, who experienced awful persecution in her life, she says this. She says, When I look at the world, I get distressed. When I look at myself, I get depressed. But when I look to Jesus, that's when I am at rest. That's when I experience peace for my soul. Four Oaks, may we keep our eyes and our hearts fixed upon Jesus Christ. May we focus on him and all of the gospel blessings that he offers to us. May we keep our eyes focused on that target. And when we lose sight of Christ, may we quickly ask for the Spirit's help to enable us to see him once again. And as we do, he supernaturally gives to us his abundant peace. And as we experience peace with our God and peace within our soul, then we are able to, by his grace, pursue peace with one another. So we can be that true Olympic village, right? Not just that presents a false picture of peace for a few weeks, but that presents a true picture of peace, of shalom, to our world that so desperately needs to see the Prince of Peace who has come to make everything right to give us joyful wonder, to give us a rich state of affairs that just goes beyond our wildest dreams and that one day we are looking forward to these tastes of peace becoming an ever-wonderful display when all of God's peace comes on earth the way it is in heaven and we'll be able to see Jesus face to face. Let's pray.